our sermon series on the New Testament book of Acts. We're going to be looking at chapter 13 today, and if you have your Bibles with you, I'd encourage you to open to that text. And if you don't have a Bible with you, we have extra Bibles in the back on a table there and by the door, and I'd encourage you to take one. We want everyone to have their own Bible. Um, Also, though, I encourage you, if you know someone who doesn't have a Bible and would like one, please take them. They're not just there for show, they're there to be used. It's sort of like the pens in the back of the uh, chairs, uh, seats here. If you take one, take two, and give one away. You can't take one pen. You know that? It it says Hope Covenant Church on it with the website. That's not for you, that's for someone else. So if you're going to take a pen, take two, give one away. Same with the, well, not the same with the Bibles. If you take a Bible, it's for you. But if you know someone, we, the, the word of God is not just for us, it's for everyone. And so I encourage you to, uh, to take it, and if you want to follow along, it's, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 13. And as we look at our text today, this is a fulfillment of what Jesus said at the beginning of Acts chapter 13. Uh, at the beginning of Acts, and just before Jesus was taken back up into heaven, he said, uh, he gave a charge to his disciples that they would receive power and that they would be witnesses for him to the ends of the earth, to all nations. And to this point in the story that we've been looking at, the gospel has gone out to Jerusalem, to Samaria, to Judea, and now there's this turning point. It's going to go to the ends of the earth. And so in chapters 12 through 14, there's this decisive turning point where the gospel no longer is just for the Jews in Israel, but it's for everyone all over the world. And so Luke has prepared people for this. He's talked about um, Stephen and teaching and then his martyrdom. He talks about Philip going and preaching to the Samaritans, but also to the Ethiopian eunuch. He had talks about the conversion of Saul and then the conversion of Cornelius. But this has all taken place in basically what is called the Levant, or Israel. And now, the gospel is going to go overseas. And so remember this promise as we look at this text today. And this is the promises from Acts 1.8, where Jesus said, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Over the next couple weeks, I want us to look at um, three sermons that Paul preaches. He preaches, uh, or three sermons are recorded. He preaches more than that, but three are recorded. The first is the one we're going to look at today, um, which is in Pisidian Antioch, and it's basically to a Jewish audience. The second one we're going to look at in a couple weeks is a sermon he preaches to a bunch of pagans in Lystra. And then the third is when he's in Athens and he preaches to a bunch of Greek philosophers. And I think it's relevant for us today, especially as we're trying to figure out how best to to proclaim the good news of Jesus to a world that is very different. And we need to know our audience and the best way to communicate the good news of Jesus Christ. So listen to, this is Luke, I mean, sorry, Luke. This is Acts chapter 13, and we'll start at verse 13. 
Paul and Barnabas have been sent off to be, this is sort of the first missionary journey, and it says, from Pathos, Paul and his companion sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John left them and returned to Jerusalem. From Perga, they went on to Pisidian Antioch. On the Sabbath, they entered the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the synagogue rulers sent word to them, saying, Brothers, if you have a message of encouragement for the people, please speak. Standing up, Paul motioned with his hands and said, Men of Israel and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. The God of the people of Israel chose our fathers. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. With mighty power, he led them out of that country. He endured their conduct for about 40 years in the desert. He overthrew seven nations in Canaan and gave their land to his people as their inheritance. All this took about 450 years. After this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet. Then the people asked for a king, and he gave them Saul, son of Kish, from the tribe of Benjamin who ruled 40 years. After removing Saul, he made David their king. And he testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. From this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before the coming of Jesus, John preached repentance and baptism to all the people of Israel. As John was completing his work, he said, Who do you think I am? I am not that one. No, but he is coming after me, whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, children of Abraham, and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people in of Jerusalem and their leaders or the rulers did not recognize Jesus yet in condemning him they fulfilled the word of the prophets that are read every Sabbath though they found no proper ground for a death sentence they asked Pilate to have him executed when they had carried out all that was written about him they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb but God raised him from the dead and for many days he was seen by those who had been traveling with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. We tell you the good news. What God promised our fathers, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. As is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have become your father. The fact that God raised him from the dead never to decay is stated in these words. I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. So it is stated elsewhere, you will not let your holy one see decay. For when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep and was buried with his fathers and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. Therefore, my brothers, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is justified from everything you could not be justified from by the law of Moses.
And there's the first sermon. That's it. I don't think they even took an offering. So to help us better understand this, I want us to do just a couple things. The first is I want us to look at the Old Testament preparations. The second is I want us to look at the sermon's focus, which is on the death and resurrection of Jesus. And then the sermon's conclusion, which is a choice between life and death. And then the sermon's consequences, which is a mixed reaction. So let's look at the Old Testament preparation. And note, Paul has been known as Saul up to this point. Saul is his Jewish name, and now he is going to go, and there's a distinct turn to ministry to the Gentiles. And so from now on, Luke calls Saul Paul. And so Paul and Barnabas are going around, and they go to Pisidian Antioch, and they go into the synagogue. And note, they go they make themselves available to talk to the people about the good news of Jesus, but they are invited to speak. If you are invited to share the good news of Jesus with someone, it is much different than trying to force your way in to talk to someone. Well, they are invited to talk. And so Paul gives this brief history of Israel and all the things that God had done in the history of Israel. And this would have been extremely important to his audience. For most of us, you're not sitting there going, if you're going to talk about Jesus, you probably wouldn't talk about what God did with the Exodus. But for the Jews, in that time, this would have been extremely important because they would want to know how Jesus fulfilled all the prophecies of the scriptures. And so basically, Paul goes and he says, look at all that God did. And basically, it's God's grace. God did this, God did that, then God did this, and then God did that. It wasn't about the people. It was about God, what God was doing through the people. And so it's all about God's grace. And Paul knows his audience, and he knows that it would have been extremely important for them to understand how Jesus is the fulfillment of these Old Testament prophecies. And so he goes through and he gets to David, King David, who would have been one of the most important people for the Jews. And he says, King David died, but one of his descendants now sits on the throne, and it is Jesus. And so Paul used scripture, which the Jewish people in the synagogue would have held as authoritative, and he showed from scripture how Jesus is a fulfillment of the scriptures. And then he talks about the second point that we're going to look at is the death and resurrection of Jesus. Of all the things you're going to talk about, it's the death and resurrection of Jesus that are the most important, for this is how we are saved. And so Paul recounts the life of Jesus focusing on his death and resurrection. And he shows from the scripture how this was a fulfillment of the promises of God. Jesus took upon himself the sins of humanity and bore the curse by dying on a cross, a tree, for our sake. And although Jesus died, he was raised again. God raised him from the dead. And so Paul goes through 
Psalm chapter two, or Psalm two, Psalm 16, Psalm 22, Isaiah 53, Isaiah 55, just to mention a few. And they're all talking about how Jesus died and then rose again not to see decay and he sacrificed himself for our sake. And so Paul talks about the death and resurrection and then says that we are saved and we have the forgiveness of sins and we are justified because of what Jesus did for us. And then that brings to the conclusion, Paul says, you need to make a choice. Here's the good news and this good news is for you what are you going to do about it? Having brought the scriptures and history together and shown how God foretold that in scripture that Jesus would fulfill all these promises, Paul now says to the people, I want you to know that through Jesus the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. What are you going to do about it? And then he says, and through Jesus everyone who believes is justified from everything that you could not be justified by observing the law of Moses. And so Paul lays out for them this clear choice. There's a forgiveness of sins and you can be justified before God or you reject it. And if you reject it, you stand condemned. What are you going to do? Accepting Jesus leads to the forgiveness of sins and peace with God, rejecting Jesus leads to con condemnation, judgment, and death. Martin Luther, the great Reformation theologian, in his preface to the book on Acts, wrote these words. It should be noted that by this book, St. Luke teaches the whole of Christendom that the true and chief article of Christian doctrine is this. We must all be justified alone by faith in Jesus Christ without any contribution from the law or help from our works. This doctrine is the chief intention of the book and the author's principal reason for writing it. And so Paul preached the good news. The good news that Jesus fulfilled all these Old Testament prophecies, but he did it for our salvation, for the forgiveness of sins, and so we can have peace with God. And he preached that so the people would decide to put their faith in Jesus. That is what we are supposed to be doing when we preach. We proclaim the good news and then invite people to respond knowing that it is God who is at work in people's lives and that God loves them more than we could ever. And so that brings us to the conclusion that we read in Acts is that there's a mixed reaction. Some people believe and others people don't. And some people oppose Paul and Barnabas. And it's here that Paul says, by your rejection of us, you are fulfilling an Old Testament prophecy that the gospel is going to go to all nations. And so later on, Paul quotes Isaiah chapter 49, 6, which says, I will make you a light to the Gentiles that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. And because of that, we are blessed. The gospel has come to us, has come to Chandler, Arizona. You know, that's, we're mentioned in the Bible when it says to the ends of the earth. And so the good news has gone to the ends of the earth. It has come to you and you today have to make a decision. How are you going to respond to the good news? 
The good news that Jesus Christ offered himself for you on the cross. Paid the penalty for your sins and through his death and resurrection, you can now have the forgiveness of sins and you can be justified before God. See, the problem is we have all sinned. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life. How does this work? Well, Jesus paid the penalty for our sins. We had to pay the penalty for our sins, but we can't because we're sinful. Jesus did it for us. He was fully God, fully human in the person of Jesus Christ, and he offered himself as a free gift for our sins, and then we receive what he did by faith. And then Paul says this, if you believe, you will be justified. Now, what does that mean? Justified is a legal term. Basically, we are all going to stand before God, the divine judge, one day, and either God will rule in our favor, and if, you are, if God rules in the favor, your favor, it, when a judge rules in your favor, it means you are justified. And there is this great passage in the Old Testament that illustrates this. It's in Zechariah chapter 3. I want to read it, and I think it fully illustrates this. It's Zechariah chapter 3. It says this. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan at his right side to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? So the Lord is talking to Satan going, I know this person's sinful and he is snatched from the fires of hell, so to speak. And Satan is always there to condemn us. We sit there and go, yes, we're saints now. That's what God calls us and the devil says, you're a sinner. And he brings up our sin over and over and over and over and over again. Why? Because we keep sinning. And so how in the world are you going to have peace in your life when you still have all this sin in your life and the devil's there to just say, what a complete failure you are. But this is what God says. Verse 3. Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes, symbolic of his sin. As he stood before the angel, the angel said to those who were standing before him, take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, See, I have taken away your sin, and I will put rich garments on you. Then I said, Put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him while the angel of the Lord stood by. The angel of the Lord gave him this charge to Joshua. This is what the Lord Almighty says, If you will walk in my ways and keep my requirements, Then you will govern my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you a place among those standing here. Listen, O high priest Joshua, and your associates seated before you, who are men symbolic of things to come. I'm going to bring my servant, the branch. That was another term for the Messiah, so this is talking about Jesus. See the stone I have set in front of you, Joshua. There are seven eyes on that one stone, and I will engrave an inscription on it, says the Lord Almighty, and I will remove 
the sin of this land in a single day. This is what God says he will do. He will remove the sin of the world in a single day. When was that? The day that Jesus Christ offered himself as a sacrifice for us and died on the cross. In a single day, all of sin was paid for through that sacrifice of Jesus. And when we accept what Jesus Christ has done for us, we receive his righteousness and God looks at us and doesn't see our filthy rags, our sin. He sees what Jesus has done for us and his righteousness. And he rules in our favor. And we are therefore declared justified before him. And it's nothing that we've done. It's all what Jesus has done for us. It's not about how your good works. Are good works important? Yes, but we do good works out of thankfulness for all that God has done for us. Not in order to get God to love us. Because of what Jesus has done for us, we should live good lives and do good works. Yes, but that doesn't get us salvation. It's a response to our salvation. And so Paul is preaching this and he says, it's all about Jesus. And you will receive the forgiveness of your sins and you will be justified before God. What are you going to do about it? And that brings us to communion. Every time we celebrate communion, we are reminded of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Every time, and, and you're baptized once, but we celebrate communion over and over and over again. Why? To remember the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for us. Jesus Christ on the night when he was betrayed, was with his disciples, and he was celebrating a Passover meal. And in this Passover meal, there's great symbolism in it. But part of it was Jesus took bread and said, this is my body, and I'm giving it to you. My body is going to be broken, and I am going to offer my body to you. And so he takes the bread, and he gives it to them and says, this is my body, eat of it. The same way he's going to take the cup and say, this is my blood, the new covenant in my blood, and I'm shedding my blood for the forgiveness of your sins. And so if you're not familiar with communion, in a little bit, the trays are going to be passed, and there's bread on them, and there, if you, there's uh, gluten-free on the outside if you need some of that. But the bread is going to be passed and I'm going to invite everyone to hold on to your portion until everyone has been served so that we can all partake together because we are united together in the one body of Jesus Christ. And we pass out the bread because you don't need to receive it from me. It's, this is the sacrifice of Jesus. This is his table and he invites us to partake of the bread and the cup. And so then we pass the bread and the cup one to another. We receive from the Lord, but we're also to pass it on. The good news is for us, but not only for us, it's for everyone, for those seated near you. And so in a little bit, the bread is going to be passed, and in a little bit, the cup will be passed as well, and we'll, again, hold on until everyone has been served, and then we'll partake together. And you'll hear 
these words, this is my body given for you because Jesus loves you. He gave his life for you. And if you have never accepted what Jesus has done, there's no better time than right now. And I'm going to invite you to bow your head and close your eyes. And you can, if you've never accepted Jesus, you can do it right now. You can simply just repeat these words in your heart. I'm not going to ask you to stand or anything like that or come forward. Because this isn't between you and me. This is between you and God. But if you've never accepted Jesus, it's simply saying, Lord Jesus, I love you. I need you in my life. Come into my life now. I know I am a sinner. Thank you for dying for me and paying the penalty for my sins. I accept you as my Savior and I'll follow you as my Lord. And if you have never prayed that before and you've prayed that now for the very first time, the scriptures say you are now part of the family of God. And if you would like me to pray for you this week, please let me know that you have prayed this. You can just simply come up to me at any time or call me this week or at the door. Just say, I prayed. Because I want you to know from scriptures, the holy scriptures, that you are part of the family of God now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.